Okay, alienated half of the crowd here this morning. Well, good morning, Elevate. Welcome to the first Sunday of 2019. Great to have you here. And I want to say well done for being here. You all know that the West Coast is the best coast. And uh, Sunday morning here in Perth, we do have options. Many, many options. And uh, you all have chosen to make the first Sunday in 2019 a priority to be here. And uh, I just want to say well done to you for that. And in fact, it's a good time to jump in with us because we're, we're launching a new series and we thought we'd start 2019 uh, going on a road trip, metaphorically, because we're not going to go anywhere, but metaphorically going on a road trip and actually following Jesus for the first eight weeks and looking at both Jesus' steps and Jesus' stops and learning from those two things throughout uh, the next eight weeks and really launching the year hopefully closer to Jesus than we finished in 2018. Now, some of you have been uh, Christians or been following Jesus for some time, and, and some of you, likely, you haven't even begun the journey of following Jesus, and you're kind of here, beginning of the year, mm, checking things out, I don't know, give it a go. Here's the good thing. 2,000 years ago, when a man called Jesus walked the earth, before he ever asked anybody to believe he was the Son of God, before he ever asked anybody to, to bow to him and, and, and acknowledge him as their Lord, he simply said three words. He said, come, follow me. And what people discovered is that Jesus was one of those people that to know him is to love him. That the more they actually just followed him and listened to his teachings and saw his heart exposed in compassion for people and saw the miracles he was capable of performing, the more they saw that over a period of time, the more their hearts were open and then they were willing to actually put their faith in him as being who he said he, he was. And so if you're here th this morning and you haven't got this Jesus thing sorted, then I'm saying just, that's fantastic. We say to you, come as you are. Come as you are to Jesus and let's just go on this little road trip for the next eight weeks and let's look at what he, what he did. Let's look at what he said. Let's look at the words he spoke. And uh, our prayer is over these eight weeks, all of us would be closer to him than we are even today. This idea of road trips, it's going to mean different things for different people. I'm aware of that. One of the first road trips that came to mind for me was about 20-some years ago. Louis and I were uh, involved in youth ministry at our, at our last church, and we took a, a crew of 10 uh, people aged sort of late teens to early 20s uh, on a road trip from Perth around the, the, the bottom of Australia up to Queensland, Ipswich, and back doing a multimedia uh, life skills presentation in various high schools over a month uh, period. We had a seven-seater Mitsubishi Pajero with a big trailer with all of our AVL equipment in the back, and we had a five-seater uh, Commodore station wagon and 10 people of uh, mixed hygiene practices. Um, <laughs> spread out across these two vehicles. We set ourselves a pretty uh, arduous schedule to cram as much as we could into that one month. And so there was, uh, let's just say, the National Heart Foundation did not approve of the amount of servo food we consumed across uh, the trip. Uh, pies, sausage rolls, and uh, I think there were maybe even a few Chico rolls in that time. Yeah, I know. Um, but we got there, we had to plan ahead where we're going to sleep, where we're going to, you know, kind of bill it out, and which schools we were going to visit, and the schedule was pretty, we had a budget, and so on and so forth. That was one 
road trip. And then I contrast that with a road trip that I was able to take uh, a few years ago. I was in the States, uh, went uh, to attend a conference at one part, and then I was speaking at a few churches up on the, the West Coast between LA and, and San Francisco. And so I actually thought, well, between LA, starting in LA and finishing in San Francisco, I'll, I'll just kind of stretch it out and do my own road trip. And here it was, the dream road trip where I was on my own, I had my own vehicle, I had my own schedule, I could sleep when I want, for as long as I want, eat what I wanted, stay where I wanted, go as far or as not far as I wanted. It was the dream, and uh, I highly recommend it. (laughs) Some of you, however, when I mention the words road trip, you have found yourself involuntarily flinching because you've been on road trips with young kids, and you know the experience I just described from LA to San Francisco is not your experience when you talk about road trips, that you have to meticulously plan food stops, you have to meticulously plan in-car entertainment, you have to meticulously plan uh, accommodation, and uh, of course you know you have to meticulously plan the toilet breaks so that your kids don't uh, break the law with public displays of nudity. So road trips are going to mean different things to different people. We're going to go on a road trip with Jesus. And the thing about road trips is that ideally, one would come back from a road trip refreshed, ideally, refreshed, and also expanded, that hopefully on that road trip, you've been able to see things and experience things that have actually enlarged who you are, enlarged your perspective, enlarged your experience, uh, maybe even taught you some new skills. And that's very much the goal of this eight-week road trip, that we would launch 2019 actually refreshed and expanded. So I want to airdrop us into one of Jesus' earliest public Outings. So if you've got our Elevate app, you can tap on the Bible tile. It's just below Rochelle. And uh, it'll, take you to, uh, it'll take you to a story written by a guy named Matthew. Now, Matthew was one of Jesus' uh, 12 merry men, one of his closest followers. And Matthew recorded these eyewitness accounts of Jesus doing his thing. Before I get to the, the specific story, let me give you the backstory. The backstory is Jesus... Uh, uh, we see a public record of him with the, uh, the baby in the manger, Christmas, nativity, shepherds, wise men, donkeys, all that sort of stuff. We see him again uh, in the public eye when he was 12, when he uh, snuck away from mom and mom was not happy and he went to the temple and as a 12-year-old was teaching in the temple. And we don't see him again in the public eye until this story that I want to airdrop us into. Now, this We picked this story up when Jesus was 30 years old. Now, that's significant. And the reason it's significant is because Jesus, whilst being the Son of God, He also identified Himself as a rabbi. And a rabbi would gather a group of young men, typically 12, and actually spend several years with them just uh, in a small, intensive setting, uh, investing into them. But a rabbi wouldn't do that. It was customary that they would wait until they were 30 years old to begin that part of their rabbinical uh, life. profession. So hence Jesus waiting, obeying the customs of the day until he was 30, till he actually stepped forward into the public light and identified himself in this uh, rabbi kind of role. And so what had happened is his cousin, a guy named John, we call him John the Baptist. We call him John the Baptist. It wasn't his surname. We call him John the Baptist because he did baptizing, okay? So John's down the river, dunking, dunking, dunking. Whoever wanted to get dunked, John would dunk them. Uh, all shapes and colors and sizes. And then 
essentially, people started to, th- to, to look at John and think, man, this John guy, is, he's, he's got game. This John guy, he's pretty cool. In fact, they'd been waiting for God to send the, the, the Savior of the world, and some people started to think that, that was John and ask him, is it you? Are you the one we've been waiting for? John's like, no, no, ain't me. Man, in fact, you think I'm pretty good. Let me tell you, the one you're actually waiting for, I'm not even worthy to, uh, to tie up his, his uh, tevas, uh, jandals, uh, shoelaces. They didn't have shoelaces back then. Get a grip, people. Anyway, and then in this point of history, Matthew records Jesus actually started walking towards the river. And when he did, John looked up and said, that's the guy. He's the one. He's the one you've been waiting for. And he, and he said to Jesus, man, I can't dunk you. And Jesus says, no, no, you can. You have to. And so John baptized Jesus. And at the moment that, that Jesus came out from the water, a dove appeared from heaven, descended down, and, the, and, and, and a voice came from heaven and said, this is my son who I'm well pleased. This is my son who I'm well pleased. This is pretty spectacular. This big public reveal, doves, voices booming, saying very specific things. This is my son, God saying this. And so if you're writing this story, if, you, if you're gonna write the next chapter, you'd expect that from here, this Jesus guy, now that he's had the public reveal, he's gonna get busy doing the Jesus stuff. He's gonna start doing the miracles. He's gonna start doing the teaching. He's gonna start gathering his followers. He's gonna do the stuff that God promised that the Savior would get busy doing. And so this is, of course, what you'd expect. And so Matthew recorded what happened next. And this is how Matthew recorded it. Next, Jesus was taken into the wild by the Spirit for the test. That's not cricket. The devil was ready to give it. Now, here's two things that kind of spin me around about Jesus' first road trip. Jesus' first road trip, first of all, it involved what I would call an unholy trinity. That actually, that, that Jesus, the, 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 the next spectacular thing that he was going to do involved the wilderness, involved testing, and involved the devil. This does not sound like fun to me. Plus, after this big public reveal, the next thing that God led Jesus into was obscurity. The big public reveal, this is my son, who I am well pleased and now we're just going to tuck him away, and you won't be able to find him. It doesn't make any sense. And yet this idea of obscurity, for some of you as you step into 2019, that rings true for you. Some of you are walking into 2019 in, in a job that you don't even think has any meaning, and you feel like you're actually going to work in a place of obscurity. Some of you have come to grips with that, and have realized that God probably has something more for you and you've started applying for new jobs and different jobs and, and better jobs and, and it's as if people aren't even getting your resumes because you're not getting any callbacks. And if you are, it's a no thanks, we've already got someone else. Some of you have lost relationships in 2018, maybe friendships. And you're walking into 2019 with a level of loneliness that you've never experienced before and wondering, am I ever going to find deep spirited friends again. Some of you have been praying for stuff in 2018 and you feel like God's blocked your number. He's like, this thing of obscurity rings true for you, but I want to give you some good news. 
when it comes to obscurity. Obscurity prepares us for opportunity. See, obscurity is actually its own test. If you've been given a promise and it doesn't come true straight away, then there's a test. And the test is, how bad do you really want it? The test is, what are you willing to give up to pursue it? The test is, how determined are you going to stick with it in order to see it to completion? Or do you want to just magically just add water? And if it's not two-minute noodles, it's not worth it. Yet last week, I made a very clear point that everything worth building takes time. By the way, I said we were celebrating our 23rd wedding anniversary. Turns out it was only our 21st. But hey, uh, I got the date right. Maybe not the count, but anyway. And this is not the point where I say it just feels like 23, because that would be marital suicide right there. But obscurity is its own test. It's a test of character. Are you going to develop patience? Are you going to develop faithfulness? Are you going to learn some new skills and, and allow God to expand your capacity? In fact, one of the great things about being in obscurity is God can actually expand your capacity when the stakes are lower than what's going to be required when you meet the promise. So Jesus prepared for the test. There's a pro move. By fasting 40 days and 40 nights. Not Jesus whinged about the test. Jesus said to God, oh, why me? Jesus prepared for the test. And that left him, duh, in a state of extreme hunger, which the devil took advantage of in the first test. The devil said this to Jesus, since you are God's son, so he knew who he was dealing with, speak the word that will turn these stones into loaves of bread. Now, let me just kind of touch on something and then we'll move on. The, the whole devil thing, might be a little vague for some of you, or it might be a little weird, and you're kind of like, is he real? Has he got a pitchfork and red horns? I don't know. It's, it, all I can say is this. We don't know everything about him. But he appears again and again and again and again in Jesus' life. And so if we kind of are getting sorted with the Jesus side of it, we have to actually acknowledge that the devil's side is very real as well. And so here we have this character, the devil, Saying to Jesus, speak, to your, <laughs> I noticed you're hungry. Turn these stones into loaves of bread. And right now, Jesus is faced with a hinge moment. He's been given this test. He's been given this challenge. He's been issued this temptation. Hey, I, I noticed you're hungry. So why don't you just take the shortcut and turn these Stones into loaves of bread. The thing is, whilst the fast was over, Jesus' preparation wasn't. And when we start to consider taking shortcuts with something that God's actually allowed us to get into, that's going to require something of us, but it's both a test and an opportunity. If we take the shortcut, we actually shortchange the breakthrough. Because we'll come out of that test early. We'll come out of that test underprepared. We'll come out of the oven underbaked. And so when we go into the next thing, there's actually pieces missing that God tried to build into our lives that we haven't taken into the next chapter because instead of waiting and allowing God to finish the preparation, we actually took a shortcut and shortchanged the breakthrough. 
fasting for 40 days and 40 nights, likely drinking water. You can, you can actually live without food for 40 days and 40 nights, not water. So Jesus would have likely been drinking water, but no food for 40 days and 40 nights left him <laughs> in a state of extreme hunger. Understand this. Jesus at this point wasn't hangry. Oh, I missed my snack. No, wasn't a teenage boy. Oh, I had to work real hard today. Didn't get a ch- chance for lunch break. No, no. Jesus wasn't hangry. Jesus was extremely hungry. Likely, at the end of 40 days, he wouldn't have been uh, a chubby bubby in the first place, but likely have literally exhausted all of his actual body fat stores to the point where food was becoming a critical survival issue for him. And the devil knew this. See, the devil didn't turn up on day one. The devil waited till day 40. And the devil didn't, test Jesus with something else. He tested Jesus with the very thing that Jesus needed the most. The devil will test you where and when you're most vulnerable. And that's why he tests you differently to your friends because they're vulnerable in different ways than you're vulnerable. It's also why he will test you in different ways in different seasons of your life because you'll be vulnerable in this area in one season of your life, pass that test and not be vulnerable in that season of your life in the next season, but be vulnerable in something else. The devil will test you where and when you're most vulnerable. And he'll start telling you lies. That's actually his job description. Lies intended for destruction. Here's a few clangers that you can expect to hear. Maybe some of you have heard him say this. The chatterbox in your head. God doesn't care for you. I mean, if God cared for you, you wouldn't be in this financial situation. If God really loved you, your children wouldn't be sick. If you really mattered to God, do you think that he would have let you experience this health challenge? Or here's the worst one. They're bad enough. Here's the worst one. He starts dropping the word never and always, but in the order that you don't want them in. You're never going to get out of this situation. You're never going to be loved. You're never going to be financially free. You're never going to work in a meaningful job. That's not the nevers that you want to hear. And then there's the always. You're always going to have that health issue. You're always going to be slave to that addiction because the devil knows something that I absolutely want you to understand today. Despair is only one short step away from defeat. And this is the slippery slope that we experience. It starts with disappointment. Somebody disappoints you. Something disappoints you. And you can't turn that around. And as you sit on that and stew on that and dwell on that and allow that to get the better of you, disappointment starts to show up as despair. Is this ever going to change? Is this ever going to get better? Am I ever going to experience this breakthrough? And that's where the devil comes in, right there, because he understands that despair is only one short step away from defeat. God's best isn't defeat. God doesn't set us into tests to experience defeat. He sets us into tests to ultimately experience victory. So whenever you're feeling desperate, Whatever it is that got you there, whatever the situation is, know the devil's going to come at you right then 
and right there. And he wants to knock you down so that you experience defeat. And it's right there that God says, no, I haven't finished the preparation. The devil will come at you, but it's a hinge moment. He's got defeat in mind. I've got victory in mind. Don't tap out now. Jesus answered the devil by quoting, quoting Deuteronomy. Now, Deuteronomy is a book in the early part of the old part of the Bible, stuff that God wrote, and said point blank to the devil, it takes more than bread to stay alive, buddy. It takes a steady stream of words from God's mouth. Now, here's a spoiler. Every time the devil came at Jesus, Jesus pushed back with God's word. Jesus pushed back with what we now have access to written in the Bible. Every single time he pushed back. And the reason Jesus was able to push back with God's word is he'd actually banked God's word in his heart and mind. One of the things that leaves us vulnerable, and look, before I say what I'm going to say, understand, I love you. I want God's best for you. I'm going to say something that's not just aimed at you. It's true for me and it's true for every person who's a follower of Jesus or consider considering following Jesus, here's the, here's the reality. The devil knows God's word better than you do. It's not a criticism. He knows God's word better than I do, and I'm paid to study this stuff. And he'll start throwing God's word at you. And if you don't have God's word deposited in your heart ahead of time, the preparation, you can't fire back at him with the truth of God's word. You'd be like, um, uh, flip, 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 uh, uh, scroll, 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 uh, hey Siri, uh, you got something for the devil? Uh, okay, Google, say something smart ass to the devil. Uh, Alexa, can you beat the devil up for me? Look, that's, that doesn't work that way. I love AI. It doesn't work that way. And so we've got to actually prepare for these tests the same way Jesus prepared by actually banking God's word in our heart. And if I could have one dream for you this year, it would be that you prioritize consistently studying God's Word, depositing it in your heart, because then if it's in your heart, you can actually pull it out and use it when you need to. The devil says, you're not loved, and you say, you know what, devil? God so loved the world, and that included me, that he sent his one and only son, that whoever believes in him will not die, but have everlasting life. The devil's like, Okay, true that. God's blocked your number. Come on, God, I've been praying. Devil says, I think he's blocked your number, buddy. And you say, you know what? Jesus himself promised that I will, be, I will never leave you nor forsake you. I'll be with you to the ends of the earth. Devil's like, can't argue with that. Well, you're feeling desperate and you're one step away from defeat. And the devil says, just give up now. And you say, no. God promised that he who begun a good work in me is faithful to complete it. And the devil's like, you got me there. And moves on. But he doesn't just go away. He's persistent. He's a liar. And he's persistent. See, you say, phew, when you experience the victory. Phew, I'm glad that's over. And kaplunk, here comes the next thing. And that's why you've said to yourself, man, if it's not one thing, it's something else. 
That's why you felt like, man, I feel like one of my legs is on the mountaintop and the other foot's in the valley simultaneously. You know what? That's kind of true for all of us most of the time. That we're actually rejoicing on a mountaintop whilst in another area of our life being attacked and trying to be dragged into a valley. But here's the thing. The devil's persistent. Guess what? So should we be. So he'll come at us with something else. Don't be intimidated by him, but don't be ignorant of his tactics. So for the second test, the devil took Jesus to the holy city and he sat him on top of the temple and said, Since you are God's son, again, even the devil knew who Jesus was. Jump! The devil goaded him by quoting Psalm 91. He has placed you in the care of angels, and they'll catch you so you won't so much as stub your toe with a stone. Now, I read this, and I think to myself, what sort of bizarre parallel universe have we now found ourselves in when it's actually the devil quoting Scripture to Jesus? Like, huh? Jesus is teaching us that we're meant to quote Scripture to the devil, and the devil's going, all right, I can one-up that. I'm going to quote me some Scripture at you. Bizarre. But he knows the Bible as well as Jesus and better than you and me. But when the devil uses God's word, he doesn't use it to bring life and victory and freedom. He distorts it because he wants to bring destruction. And he wants us to think, oh, that sounds kind of spiritual. Oh, that sounds about wrong. Yeah. And go with it. It's like, he's tricksy. He'll take you down a different path than what God actually intended. And so... Jesus countered with another citation from Deuteronomy. Don't you dare test the Lord your God. Boom, full stop, mic drop. Well, no, because the devil, in case you missed it, he's persistent. So for the third test, the devil took him to the peak of a huge mountain, and he jested expansively, pointing out all of the earth's kingdoms, how glorious they all were. And the devil said to Jesus, they're yours, lock, stock, and barrel. Just go down on your knees and worship me. And they're yours. Have any of you noticed that we're living in a me first culture now? Has anyone, has anyone noticed that? Has anyone missed that? If you missed it, let me catch you up. Whether you like it or not, whether you've noticed it or not, we are living in a me first culture more than ever. I was reminded of this. Louis and I were reminded of this a few weeks ago. Uh, Louie took me on a road trip to the store, and uh, she was driving. I'm in the passenger seat, and uh, now podcast listeners, you'll have to play a bit of theater of the mind for this one, but uh, we're, we're, we're driving down a street, coming out to a T-junction, okay? T-junction, single lane, lane coming up away, stop sign. At the stop sign, there was room enough for two cars. So if you're turning left, you could sort of sh- scooch over to the left at the stop sign, ready to turn left. And if you were turning right, you could scooch alongside that car and, and cross traffic and, and turn right. And so we were turning right. There was a car in the lane, or not the lane, same lane, but they'd scooch to the left. They had their indicator on to turn left. And uh, they're there, indicator turning on. We pulled up, bit of traffic coming, so we're waiting. No traffic, and we're just about to go. And uh, the person in the car next to us pulls out and pulls across. Because it seems that whilst they were paused at the left side with their left indicator on, they realized that they meant to go right. But rather than wait until we turn right and then 
pulling behind us. They just went in front of us because, you know, why not? So I uh, tooted Louise Horn, and I gave the driver of that car the universal sign of displeasure, which may have involved one or more of these fingers being uh, held up. I forget, they're all so versatile. And I was naively hoping for this person to go, oh, sorry, sorry. Oh, they flipped me. They were like. So I said, Louis, step on it. Follow them. A chase? Opportunity. I was able, wanting to use my words. She didn't. Pathetic. Instead of an apology, it was like, eh, I needed to turn right. Now, I know that people have been cutting people off in traffic for decades. I understand it, okay? But you will see this play out, this me-first mindset in all sorts of ways. And now, it's combined with a cult of popularity. That popularity, whilst it's always been something we've craved, is now measurable. We can measure it by likes and follows and shares and ha-ha-ha emojis. And you combine a me-first culture with a culture of popularity, and, and we, can, we can be fooled into thinking that our role on this earth is to make ourselves famous, that our role on this earth is to climb this kind of ladder to this pinnacle where people are actually following us, and, and yet God's like, no, 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 here's my agenda. You're created for such a time as this to make me famous. You're created for such a time as this to use your influence and build your platform, but do it in such a way that it's actually going to bring me glory and not you glory. It's not a me first. It's got to be a Jesus first mindset that we carry into 2019. And so Jesus knows this, and he's now been promised all the kingdoms of the earth. And Jesus' refusal was curt. Beat it, Satan. (laughs) Exclamation mark. He backed his rebuke. Okay, that was pretty hard to listen to. With a third quotation from Deuteronomy, worship the Lord your God and only Him. Serve Him with absolute single-heartedness. And the test was over and the devil left and in his place angels. And angels, which was God's plan all along, angels came to take care of Jesus. If you shortcut the test, you will shortchange the breakthrough. God wants us to actually go through tests, and He's going to allow us to go through tests, but He's got a solution on the other side. He's waiting on the other side. He's allowed us to go into that so that we can grow, that there's a preparation in the test. And if we decide we're going to just check out because it's too hard, oh, it's not fair, God, you're so mean. I don't like this. There's a good one. I don't like this. Then unfortunately, in those hinge moments, if we decide to check out rather than push through, we're going to actually miss God's best solution. Man, I, I got to tell you, this looks pretty good to me. I mean, I like me a good day spa and everything, but the notion of actually having angels coming and looking after me, it's a dream. You could look after yourself. You could expect people to look after you. 
You could expect circumstances to take care of you. And, 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 and God will use all of those things. But there is nothing better than God's promise that He ultimately will take care of you. And so I, I want to pray for us as we launch into 2019. I want to pray for us because I'm aware that some of you have stepped into 2019 <laughs> and some things have followed you there <laughs> that you were hoping were going to be left in 2018. And you looked over your shoulder and you're like, dang, the tests have followed you. Some of you, it's not that the tests have followed you, but you're actually walking towards some new tests. And I want to pray for you. And, and, and here's the thing. In a moment, those of you that want me to pray for you, I'm going to ask you to stand, but I want you to know what you're standing for. I am not going to pray that God brings you out before His purpose is complete. So I'm not going to pray for a shortcut. So if you want a shortcut, don't stand. What I'm going to pray for, and if you want me to pray for you today, what I'm going to pray for is that you will see what God's doing in that test. That you'll submit yourself to His plans and purposes in that test. That you'll actually trust Him, that even though it's not fun, that there's something that He's doing in you and ultimately wants to do through you. I'll pray for patience, courage, strength, endurance, faithfulness. These are all the things you're going to be standing up for or not. So just think about that for a moment. Before I do, I want to actually do one other thing, and that's actually to give you an opportunity if you've never put your own trust in Jesus. You know, even the devil's calling Jesus out as being who Jesus said he was. You're the son of God. Jesus like, yeah, I know. And if you've never actually acknowledged that he's the son of God and you've never actually put your trust in him, we want to give you an opportunity to do that right here, right now. And for those of you that want to take that next step, maybe you've been following him for a while, but you haven't kind of, yeah, not sure who he is. And maybe that's this morning is like, uh-huh, I get it. And I'm ready. Maybe you've grown up in church and you've ditched church and beginning of the new year you're here. I'll give church another go and you've dipped your toe back in the water and Jesus says, I don't just want you to come back to church. I want you to come back to me. We're going to give you an opportunity to take that step this morning. Or maybe you've never been in a church and half of what's happened this morning has been kind of pushing your weird buttons. I get it. We're a little weird. And yet you've got this sense that Jesus is who he said he was. And if that's your situation this morning, I want to invite you to take the step of putting your faith in Him. So for those of you this morning that are ready to put your trust in Jesus, to say, yes, Jesus, I acknowledge you are who you said you are, that you're the Son of God, I want to put my trust in you. I want you just to put your hand up real quickly. You're saying to Him, that's me this morning. And when I see your hand, you can put it down. I'm just going to pray for you from up here. Good on you, good on you guys. You can put your hand down. Who else? Say, that's me this morning. I'm going to start 2019 making a decision to follow Jesus. This is my next step this morning. Good on your homes. Who else? Let me pray. Before I pray for those of you into 2019, let me pray for those people that put their hand up this morning. I'm going to pray a prayer. I'm going to say a short sentence. I'm going to say it loud. This is a birthday, not a funeral. So I want you to say it back with me. Pray this prayer, especially those people that lifted their hands. How about you say these words? Pray this prayer to God. Dear Jesus, today I decide to put my trust in you to begin 2019 with you as my Lord and Savior. I thank you for forgiving me. 
I thank you for a brand new start. I thank you for a destiny. I thank you for a relationship. I put my trust in you. I commit to follow you from this day for the rest of my life. Amen. Give it up for them, hey, this morning. Fantastic. Brilliant, brilliant, brilliant. All right. We're nearly done. I'm over time. I might have to, I might have to fire myself. If you want me to pray for you going into 2019, whether you're in a test, not yet in a test, expecting a test, just come out of a test, whatever that situation is, how about you stand? And uh, let's commit our hearts and our minds and our lives this year. No matter what the circumstances are, we, God, we stand before you as people who are committing to allow you to do a work in us and through us. God, we know the tests are going to happen. Some of our people standing, the tests are already happening. God, some of the tests are just over the horizon. There's going to be surprising tests. And God, there's also going to be surprising breakthroughs. God, I, pr I pray for everybody standing this morning that you will give us a strength and a courage and a willingness to be patient, to be faithful, to not take any shortcuts, to allow what you want to do in us and through us. God, I'm going to sneak a prayer in there as well. <laughs> I hope and pray, God, that this year is also a year that we get closer to you by studying what you've said, by studying your word, by depositing that in our hearts and minds so that it's there when we need it, so that we understand your promises better than ever before, so that we don't settle, so that we don't go backwards. That 2019, one of our teams said it to me this morning, will be a year of great surprises. In Jesus' name, amen. Fantastic, guys. I'm handing back to Louis. We've been married 21 years. <laughs>